Welcome to the GenesisChurch.tv podcast with Scott Hunter. I'm your host, lead pastor of Genesis, Scott Hunter. Today is the rebroadcast of week one of our current message series, Unshaken, the book of Daniel. I pray this brings you hope and encouragement as we face a world very similar to Daniel's at this time. Thanks for tuning in. On September 9, 1965, James Stockdale was flying a mission over North Vietnam. His plane was shot down. He parachuted into a village where he was captured. Stockdale would spend the next seven years as a POW. As a senior naval officer, he was routinely tortured, and they denied any kind of medical treatment. They confined him to a concrete cell that was three feet by nine feet with no windows, nothing. Dark, seven years. How do you survive being in confinement with no signs of life and getting routinely beaten for seven years? I want you to hear what James Stockdale said in 10 words. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I don't think we've ever had a more relevant message series for such a time as this. See, if you think the world is falling apart at the seams, do not lose faith in the end of the story. My God is holding all the stitches together. You've got to make it to the end of the book. You've got to believe and understand that Revelation 11:15 is an actuality already in existence. The seventh angel sounded the trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, our God reigns. So the question is, do we believe it, and are we going to live like it? We don't believe in happily ever after, right? We believe in something so much bigger, so much something better, so much something longer, so much, so much stronger. We believe in happily forever after. Here's what I know for sure. God's not nervous about our current climate of our culture and our world. God is victorious. His kingdom is going to come. And his will is going to be done. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Spoiler alert, I'm going to summarize Unshaken, this story, this book about Daniel, this series in just three words. God's got it. God's got it. So breathe. Don't lose faith in the end of the story. Pastor Scott, are you watching the news? Yeah, it makes me sad. It makes me frustrated. It makes me ticked off at the lack of character and, the, and or wit on how to figure out a solution to anything for problems. Like, I'm frustrated too. That gas is almost going to be like, they said predicted, could be $10 a gallon. Listen, you know why I'm mad? Because I got one good leg. And at that point, I'm going to be walking everywhere. So I'm, I'm mad. But listen, I'm not just watching the news. And you don't need to be either. You need to be doing the same thing that I'm doing. And it's just this, you just don't watch the news. You read your Bible. You got to make sure that you're filtering all this bad garbage with the good news of the gospel. Why? 
so that you don't lose faith at the end of the story. You know how it turns out. 1 Corinthians 13.8. You can pick your translation. Love never fails. Love conquers all. Love never ends. Love wins out. And two, don't just watch the news. Watch and pray the news. Prayer is the difference between letting things just happen and making things happen. See, when we hit our knees, we are writing history before it happens. We are shifting the atmosphere because God listens. We are advancing God's kingdom one single prayer at a time. We fight people on our knees. So you better be watching and praying. Let me finish what James Stockdale said. He says, I never lost faith at the end of the story. I'm going to crack, like take a crack at breaking this last part down. He says, you must, you must never confuse the faith that you will prevail at the end, which you can't afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts that you're currently facing, your current reality, whatever that might be. What does that mean? Simply this, confront the brutal facts with unwavering faith. See, that's what the series Unshaken is all about. We're going to confront brutal facts of what's happening, that we live in a broken world, Right? That we are literally born on a battlefield that is raging good versus evil all the time. And Jesus said it this way, though, in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, period. But here's the faith part. Jesus, Jesus just amazingly finishes the statement. He says, but take heart. Fear not. I've overcome the world. Do you believe that? I'm asking, do you believe that Jesus Christ has overcome this world? And so as we confront the brutal facts of culture and decline of culture and things blowing up and wars, but do we, we see all these things and do we, we encounter it with an unwavering faith that Jesus Christ is victor over death and the grave and that God is working a plan and that God has gone home through Jesus Christ, and he is preparing a place for you? So even as this world looks like it's coming to a close or at the home stretch, this is not all that there is. Amen? And the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. The best is yet to come. This is a blip. So this weekend, as we begin this series on the book of Daniel Unshaken, I'm a little shaken. I'm a little, little excited. I'm a little ready to jump off this gimpy chair of mine with this gimpy leg, and I'm going to tell you a story that's going to blow your mind because unshaken is about refusing to compromise your convictions even when the rest of the world is bowing to a 90-foot statue. Unshaken is living in a, a world, and you are being the one that is countercultural, even if it costs you a fiery furnace. Unshaken is confronting, like, confronting these brutal facts that say, if you don't do this, if you don't stop praying, you're going to face a lion's den. Unshaken is confronting the brutal facts with unwavering faith, even if it takes 70 years to be set free. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm a little amped, and I believe that God is going to take us into a really cool place as a church over the next six weeks. So what I'm doing is there are, are, are 12 chapters that I'm going to take six of those. 
uh, in Daniel, and I'm going to break those down chapter by chapter, one each week over the next six weeks. And so we're going to get into God's Word, and we're going to allow God's Word to get into us. So my prayer is that you're going to get this insatiable hunger to read God's Word, to digest God's Word, and so much more that whatever weekend message that you get, it will not satisfy that you've got to go out of here and be like, wow, I need to read that. That's what I want out of this series for you, that you might become emboldened and unshaken. So here we go. That was just the intro. All right, listen, the Old Testament, I'm going to teach you a little bit. It's organized in, in three sections. So you've got the Torah, which is the law, right? It's the first five books of the Bible. And then you've got the prophets and you've got the writings. When you, when you look at the book of Daniel, the, the Hebrew canon puts Daniel in, in the writings section, not the prophets. But now that said, we would consider Daniel one of the four major prophets along with Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Why? Well, two primary reasons. One, Jesus calls them a prophet, which is good enough for me and anybody else with a brain. Listen, and number two, the writer of Hebrews says that Daniel, the prophet, shut the lion's mouth. So now the first half of Daniel's biography, it reads like a, a political memoir. So who is Daniel? He is a Jewish prisoner of war, which is why I opened with the story that I did. And he rises in the rank, though, however, and he becomes second in command of the most powerful kingdom on earth. Read the book of Daniel. There are six subplots that are happening in the first six chapters, and it's like way more engrossing, enter entertaining, and mind-bending and mind-blowing than the Johnny Depp trial, okay? So get into it. These subplots are some of the most amazing miracles in the Bible that you will ever read. That's why, like, if you've ever grown up in church, you've heard some of these stories. You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. You've got Daniel in the lion's den, and you've got this mysteriously, like, hand peering and writing on a wall. Super wicked, super cool, right? And then halfway into the book, Daniel flips. And it switches from this biographical novel to eschatological writing, meaning that there are, there are four visions that he has and that he writes about. And as you begin to read, it sounds so much like the book of Revelation. And so what I'll do is I'll do my best to kind of decrypt some of those chapters for you as well. So one more footnote before we dive in. I want you to realize this. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. Follow me. Let me show you a picture. This is one of the ancient wonders of the world. That is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, built by King Nebuchadnezzar, who we're going to talk about for his wife, who was homesick. And so he builds this pretty amazing, epic thing. And like, it's pretty dope, even by today's standards. Like, so now part of my reason for showing you that is to remind you the Bible is a real book about real people in real time, in real places, and I might add, with some really, really real problems, right? That's why context is so critical. You cannot look at a story in isolation and be like, oh, yeah, I get that. I understand that. No, 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 no. Why I'm telling you all this background stuff is so not to bore you, but that you might have the full scope of what's happening. So we already know how every story ends when we read it in the Bible. Like if you've heard it or if you read it before, you're like, oh, there's no elements to, of surprise to that, right? And you can read it in minutes. But, but what I want you to see is as you read this book, what seems so quick as a quick read-through is a 70-year 
events in the making. A 70-year period, starting around 606 B.C., and it's during the Neo-Babylonian period, but if you're Jewish, it's known as the Babylonian exile. All right, so let's do this thing. I'm going to pick up in the very beginning. We're going to go verse by verse, and I'll break it down and make it all make sense. So give me like 15 more minutes of your time and your attention. I know we're all like ADD in now's day and age, but we're going to start and we're going to begin at Daniel chapter 1. 1 verses 2. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And then the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God, lowercase g, in Babylonia, and put it in the treasure house of his God. Now pause. Nebuchadnezzar was the longest reigning, most powerful king in Neo-Babylonian Empire times, all right? So he also was an egomaniac, right? That is a major understatement. If you build a 90-foot statue that looks like yourself and you tell everybody, hey, y'all gonna bow down to this thing that looks like me, you are compensating for something. That's all I'm saying. The more insecure you are, the more monuments you build to yourself. Now in 606 BC, the third year of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, he invades Judah. He would tear down and like plunder the temple in 586 BC, about 20 years later. So it's not the destruction of the temple. This is just the first invasion. This first invasion, though, he sets up a puppet king to rule all of them. And then what he does is he takes a handful of the royal class and all of the creative class as prisoners of war. So he takes handfuls of POWs, some Stockdales, and he marches them to Babylon. Show the pic, follow this garnet path with me. So you can see where Jerusalem is here on my left, your left, and follow the big arc all the way around from Nineveh all the way down to Babylon and Mesopotamia, right? Daniel was following the exact same route that Abraham took to the promised land but in reverse. Let that sink in. So Nebuchadnezzar, he marches the POWs back to Babylon. That is about 900 miles and would have taken between two and three months. Can you imagine what Daniel was thinking as he was one of the besieged walking around in his sandals for three months? What is going on in his brain? So Daniel was taken because he was the descendant of King Hezekiah. So he's got royal blood flowing through his veins, and overnight he goes from like the majority of the culture, those that are honored and esteemed, to the minority culture. Overnight he goes from the palace with the perks to the status of a slave. More on that in a minute. But now I want you to notice the language here. It says, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Nebuchadnezzar didn't conquer Israel, contrary to popular opinion in all your history books. It says, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into his hands. Big difference. I hope you are picking up what I'm throwing down. Daniel 2.21 says, he controls the course of the world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. Now, a little newsflash here, it's not always the joker that you voted for. And God does it for a lot of reasons. Why? Let me poke this bear a little bit. Don't throw things at me. 
okay? Not chairs, not shoes. This is not Jerry Springer. We, we're kind of polarized right now, right? Everything's politicized right now, so you might hear everything I'm saying right now through a filter of Fox or CNN. I don't give a crud, but here we go. Is it possible that God could call you to work for an administration or serve a senator or be a clerk for a judge whose values and beliefs you do not share for the purpose of being an influence upon them? To be a prophet in their life. That's what the book of Daniel is all about. Daniel has the courage to say what needs to be said. And may God raise up in this room some Daniels and some Esthers who have the courage to speak truth to power. You live in the capital city. Some of you have been positioned to do some jobs on purpose. You see, this is not the role that Daniel wants to play. I guarantee you this was not his plan A or his plan B or his plan Z, right? This is the last thing that Daniel wants to do. You think he wants to be uprooted from his home and marched three months away to some place where he's now a slave? No, nobody wants that. But what do you do in those kind of situations? Listen, sometimes when it seems like your plan is falling apart, you've got to realize that God has you right where he wants you and he's positioned you for there for a season and a reason. And if you don't believe that, your God is too small. Look at verse 3. Sorry, I'm shouting. I know I'm spitting and screaming all over the place, but just bear with me. I'm, I'm amped. It's a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Holy Spirit. Listen, the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief official, of his court officials to bring in some Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Like I said, the young men without blemish, handsome, gifted in all wisdom and knowledge, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace and to teach them the language and literature of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were elevated. They were going to be educated and nourished for three years. And after that, then they would enter the king's service. So even the prep time, three years. Three more years of waiting. And our best guess is that Daniel is a teenager, which is super impressive because if you know anything about a teenager, you know that the prefrontal cortex in your mind that's responsible for like consequential kind of thinking, it's not even developed till you're 25, right? It's not fully developed. So he could be saying, well, how, how do I know how to serve the king? What am I supposed to do? What, how am I supposed to know what to do with what's asked of me, right? My brain's not even developed fully yet, right? I can't even run a car. So here's my point. Daniel, 15, 16, 17, however old he is, does not use his age as an excuse. Does not play the victim. But instead, he uses it as a platform to proclaim God's faithfulness, God's power, and God's goodness. I want to speak to some of you college students and some Genesis students sitting in this place right now. God has appointed you. God has anointed you. God is raising up some Daniels and some Esthers, some Nehemiah to do some things that your parents never even dreamed were possible. And God can do with and for and through and in and by the person who is fully consecrated to him who is set apart unto him so that you might change the world. Why not you? Why not now? So dial it in right here. Here's what I find noteworthy about Daniel. Daniel 
is taking three years because he's told to, but here's what's cool. He, he's really paying attention, and he is studying the culture. That is not his. And he's learning lit. He's learning the language of Chaldeans. Why? Because if you're playing the long game, you've got to learn a little bit, a little bit more about who's around you. You've got a little bit more about each other if you want change to happen. Are you hearing me, people? What does that practically mean for us? Would you start talking to the people that are not like you? We start studying what's going on in the world through the lens of somebody else so you can understand how they think and how they relate to the world because their worldview does not include Jesus. Their worldview is not going to be yours. So do some work if you want to reach them. Let me fast forward. Look at verse 20. Daniel 1.20 says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and all the enchanters, everybody in this whole kingdom. Hear me, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. God wants to anoint you. Do you understand that? God wants to pour his power over you and speak wisdom through you and truth through you and love through you and light through you. See, the anointing is the difference between you doing the best that you can do and then God putting some oomph on you and God doing the best that he can possibly do through you. Come on. May God anoint you 10 times more powerful by the, by the anointing of his Holy Spirit. I love verse 6. The plot just thickens. This is some good stuff. Listen to this. Among those who were chosen, I'm about to preach, the tribe of Judah, Daniel, and Azariah, Abednego. See, that's really easy to read through, and you're like, why is the plot thickening? Like, right? You just, we just gloss through that, like, oh, they got new names. Don't miss the importance of this. The Babylonians are attempting, they're attempting to alter the identification of these teenagers by conforming them to the image of their idols, their names, and their narratives. Daniel means, God is my judge. Belteshazzar means, the divine lady who protects the king. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. Shadrach means command of Aku, a Babylonian god. Mishael means who is like the Lord. His name is turned to Meshach, meaning owned by Aku. And Azariah means the Lord is my helper. And gets turned into Abednego, meaning servant of Nago, another Babylonian god, lowercase g. Make no mistake about what is happening right here. These are slave names. They signify new ownership. The Babylonians want them to disown their god, capital G. And I know this sounds archaic, but it could not be more relevant. See, the same thing is happening every single day in our culture. Every single day, in every way. If we are not being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we are going to be conformed to the world around us. It's just how it is. Romans 12, 2 encourages you to do this. I keep screaming this scripture at you because I think it's more relevant than, than any scripture that we, we've heard lately because it reminds us, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but you've got to be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. You've got to study the Word of God. You've got to get into the Word of God. You've got to let the Word of God wash over you and reprogram and push out all the garbage, all the info that's flying at you from your phone, your TV, the media, your friends, everybody. And then, as it resets, you're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, as good as pleasing and as perfect will. You're going to be able to understand what the truth is and what God wants for you and God wants to do in you. See, the word conformed in Romans, it means fashioned after or adapted to. Do not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. He wants to undermine your identity in Christ. How? By giving you a false identity that is fashioned, that is molded, that is shaped into the dominant culture of the time that you're living in. If you don't know what you stand for, you will certainly bow down to the biggest idol around. So you have to define success. Or you will go to the default of what culture says is success. You have to define your core values by biblical standards. Or you're going to, you're going to live down to the least common denominator. You need to know who you are and you need to know whose you are. See, if you're one of the many people that are in our G groups and you want to get real, real fast, have this conversation at your next meeting. Ask two questions. Have you let the culture name you? Have you let the culture tame you? And if we were to write down all the times that we've let culture name us and tame us, all the things that have been said about us, all the mean things that have torn us down, all the names that we've been called and we've owned it would take down a lot of trees and we would have to, to write down all the things that have been said about me and that have been said about you. We'd be writing some books. But can I make a declaration today? We are no longer going to be named. We're no longer going to be tamed. Why? Because we, if you are a believer, you are a child of God. Our identity, our authority, our security is found in none other than Jesus Christ himself and Jesus Christ alone. Can I get a big fat amen when y'all wake up this morning? Woo! I'm the only one excited. Daniel 1.8 says this. Check it out. But Daniel resolved, 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 resolved. This teenager resolved not to defile himself. <laughs> He's not going to take the royal food. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Listen, short and sweet. See, the culture of the king's food would have been offered to the idols before it was given to people. So he could not be, he could not control what he was called, right? They're going to call him whatever they want to call him. But he could control what he would ingest, what he would take in. There's a sermon in there somewhere. All right, listen. When it comes to convictions, when it comes to consciousness, the little things become big things really fast. Dr. King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Listen, I think the same thing is so true of your integrity and my integrity. If you compromise your integrity anywhere, you're going to compromise your integrity everywhere. Let me flip the coin. Jesus said, whoever is faithful with very little can be trusted with a whole lot. Luke 16.10 says, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the larger ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, 
You won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. So God's not going to give them to you. How you do anything is how you're going to do everything. And I think there comes this moment where you don't back down. You need to risk your reputation for what you know is right. And I think we keep finding ourselves in this kind of season lately. It's just over and over and over. Like we're getting promised that there's going to be another summer of everybody blowing up the world, right? How much influence have we lost? How much kingdom advancement has gone ungained? How many blessings have we forfeited? How many sins of omission, of not doing what we're supposed to do, have we committed? All because we're afraid of risking reputation. When you fail to live according to your convictions, we become complicit. We commit sins of silence, sins of tolerance, sins of omission. God has called us to a higher standard. And it's not enough just to be part of the problem. See, critics and politicians, they point out problems and they blame, they blame, they blame. But prophets point out solutions and, and challenge people to action, to change. Daniel 2.23 says, You have made known to us the solution to the king's problem. God is going to give some of you some answers and some wisdom beyond your capacity. If you want to establish God's reputation, you might have to risk your own. That's what Daniel does. And he does it so tactfully, with such humility. It's like textbook. You want to learn how to do that? Read Daniel. Can I tell you how I'm resolving some issues these days? I'm doing my best to try to not be offended, or at least not show it because my spirit is offended. And sometimes it is a pride, swallowing, a choke on your own vomit kind of feeling. But showing that you're offended, getting angry, spouting off, running your mouth, shuts down dialogue. So don't do it. Here's why. Because if you take offense, you become defensive and you shut down. Like, I see that in me. I know I do it. And I have to be conscious all the time. Because people say things to me all the time, and my, my initial reaction is to defend, because I get cut down a lot. When you're in a place where you lead a bunch of people, there's always critics. There's always Nebuchadnezzars. But if you take offense, you shut down. And we already know that the other person that does not know God is offended by God's word, right? But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you act angry or you act offended by their blindness. If you're offended by them not understanding spiritual things because they are not of the spiritual nature of not knowing or caring about the God that you care about or the things that you believe in, then how in the world are you going to reach them? How are you going to reach someone when you're yelling back in their face or writing some smart butt comment in a thread on social media? Listen, I'm telling you, the Lord has been speaking to me. When I watched a lady 
last week pull out a baby doll covered in fake blood with a fake umbilical cord at the bottom of her skirt in front of a priest on the steps of a church in front of little kids trying to get inside, screaming and praising the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for abortion. My spirit was offended. I don't care where you stand on this issue. But I know that all life is sacred according to the word of God. Otherwise, he would say, never in the word of God that he knew you in your mother's womb. But watching that, regardless of where you stand, that was rough, dude. That was super rude. That is inconsiderate. That scared little kids going into church. And the Scott in me wants to react. And I thought, what if someone did that at Genesis? How would I respond? And the flesh of me wants to break out some MMA moves that I learned a few years ago. And I'd be like, chokehold, chokehold, chokehold. But the Lord says, Scott Hunter, you better lay down your pride and you better show love. Now, would I have the entire church come out and start doing a praise and worship concert? You bet I would. But not an arrogance. But because I believe the power of God is what breaks the yoke of sin. Why? Because I know it's true because of my life. I'm going to close with verse 9. Daniel 1.9 says, God granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official. Listen, we all want the favor of God, but it comes at a cost. Favor follows faith. Favor follows integrity. Favor follows faithfulness and obedience. Favor follows a teenager risking his reputation for his core convictions. If you want to experience the favor of God, I dare you to be like Daniel. God is setting you up. God is telling you, I got this. The next six weeks are going to radically shake your life. You need to be in church. And over this series, I just want to pronounce this over your life. May God bless you and keep you. May his favor shine down upon you. I pronounce God's favor on your life. I believe it begins by you having a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, may the spirit of the Lord rest upon you like it rests upon me. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight for the spiritually blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Walk with integrity. Let the anointing heavily rest upon you so that you might release the oppressed. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Grab a hold of it. Let's go. This has been another podcast of GenesisChurch.tv with Scott Hunter, lead pastor of Genesis Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Tune in each Sunday at 929 or 1101 on YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, and live.GenesisChurch.tv or visit us in person at 4070 Mission Road here in Tallahassee. Catch us for weekly messages and midweek interviews and encouragement here on the GenesisChurch.tv podcast.